dismissed as they'll be heading up to the youth room for their lesson. Parents, that's where they're going to be with Mr. Luke. The rest of us, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians. So if you'll turn in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 11. We left off at verse 10 last week, and we're going to cover verses 11 through 22. We'll finish the chapter this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Jerry will be happy to give you a Bible so you can study God's Word with us. Also, let's make sure that we have our cell phones that are on silent or on off, so we're free from distractions and uh, free from texts that come in and beep and all the other things that beep, uh, so we can be free to hear God's Word. So, Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin reading that verse 11. A wonderful, powerful portion of Scripture Ephesians chapter 2 has been. The whole book is powerful. The whole Bible is powerful. So we're blessed to be in the Word of God this morning. All right, are you there? So, Father, we ask that you would bless the teaching of the Word this morning. We come to you desiring to be taught by you. And, Lord, you said that you honor your Word above your name. And so, Father, we want to honor your Word this morning. We want to look at this passage and take it to heart. We don't want to dismiss it. We don't want to argue against it. We don't want to have any preconceived ideas. But, Lord, a very important subject, and that is the church and us living stones that make up the church and how important the church is to you and should be to us. So, Lord, I'm thankful that we're here together. I thank you for those who are listening on live stream because I know that there are those who perhaps are on vacation away, and, and they may be away physically, but they can join us in spirit and with the technology, it's, it's wonderful. So we desire right now to just come and, and hear from you and be encouraged and edified and comforted and uplifted. So speak to our hearts, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we have seen thus far in the book of Ephesians the wonderful and glorious truths concerning the blessings that we have as Christians. And we saw in the first chapter that the blessings that we do have, the the spiritual blessings that are ours as believers, and that is that we are chosen, we've been adopted, we have been redeemed and forgiven, we have an eternal inheritance with God, we are joint heirs with Christ, and then Paul also tells us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And as we have traveled through chapter 2, we have seen that God has done a glorious work in us as we were dead spiritually and in trespasses and sins before we came to Christ. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me in going to the cross and rising from the grave, God has made us alive who is rich in mercy and has a great love for us. He has raised us up into the heavenlies in Christ. We have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's where we ended last time in verse 10. And as we've been talking about all the the glorious and wonderful spiritual blessings that are ours, all because of Christ, if we really grasp these blessings and these truths that we've been talking about over the last few weeks and get them down into our hearts, what it is to really be blessed as a Christian, the blessings that are ours that come from the Lord, We won't have the mindset of always, you know, being enamored with the world and dominated by the world and put our focus and efforts into the world or trying to fulfill my fleshly desires. You won't be envious of those who belong to the world. But rather, when we make these spiritual blessings and these truths our own and get them down into our hearts, that we begin to marvel 
hey, I belong to the Lord in, in heaven and the blessings that I have because of Christ that are found in Christ, they are so glorious and so wonderful and they are eternal. And as we continue in chapter 2 this morning, we're going to see that the apostle continues to write, inspired by the Spirit of God, about God's wonderful work among us as believers. Let's, let's pick up our text at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. The apostle writes, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so Paul's stating that those of the uncircumcision, Whenever you read that word in the New Testament, it's simply speaking of, of Gentiles, those who are non-Jews. Uh, you who of the uncircumcision were in a desperate place, being aliens and strangers, having no hope and being without God. You Ephesian believers, and most of them were Gentile believers, referred to, you know, uh, here, not only were you in a bad place spiritually, individually, but you being Gentiles in the flesh did not have the access to God as the circumcised, or that is the Jews, who had the promises. They had the covenants. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope without God in the world. Now, it is a tragic thing, we know, to exist without the hope of God. The great truth of God's word is this, that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And we all, every single one of us, know people that are in our families, perhaps, that are, you know, in the workplace or that we care about and are linked to us in our lives. We know people that they have no hope. And they will put their hope in other things. They'll put their hope in their own goodness. They'll put their hope in their own religiousness. They'll put their hope in their own philosophy and their own beliefs. But it's apart from Christ. And we understand from the scriptures, God's word is very clear, that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, there is no hope for us eternally. There's, there's no hope for the abundant life that he has for us because the world is going to leave you empty. The world is going to leave you in despair. The world's going to leave you in bondage. That's the truth of what God's word declares. And what is sad is when the church comes along and begins to emphasize those temporal things, those things that, that you know people look to, the material, name it and claim it, and the prosperity movement and all of this, when we need to keep our focus on the eternal and our focus on the Lord and his promises and what he desires to do in our lives. So here Paul is he's writing to them, the Gentiles at one time, they didn't have or know about the covenants and the promises that the Jews had. They didn't have the Old Testament, the law of God, the promises of God, or the prophecies that the Messiah was going to come. So they were considered, as we read here, afar off is the term that Paul uses as he states again, let's read this in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Now that's a glorious truth, and I pray that it's a truth that really sinks down into our hearts and that we understand, because in the Old Testament, as you read about the tabernacle that Moses built out there in the wilderness, if you were one of the Jews from any of the 12 tribes of Israel, 
you could bring a sacrifice. You can come to the outer courtyard of the tabernacle. It was not in the tabernacle, the, the tent itself, but you, as a part of the tabernacle in that, that's where they did the sacrifices. So you would bring your sacrifice. But when it came to the tabernacle itself, only the priests, the, the direct descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, only they could go into the tabernacle. And they would go into that first room that was called the outer sanctuary or the holy place. And there was a seven branch, you know, golden menorah. There was a shoe bread table. Straight ahead was the altar of incense. And then there was an inner sanctuary behind the altar of incense. There was a veil. In the inner sanctuary, or that is the Holy of Holies, only one person could go into that room. And that was the high priest on one day of year for a short time on the Day of Atonement to make atonement uh, as he made sacrifice for the nation. And that's where the tangible presence of God was, there in the Holy of Holies. That's where the Lord said, Moses, that's where I'm going to meet with my people, there between the cherubim where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat. But if you were not of the Jews, you couldn't even come near the tabernacle. You couldn't come into the, the outer courtyard. Now, when the temple was built, the second temple, Herod had expanded the second temple to where there was different courtyards. And one of the courtyards that was near the temple was the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could come there, but they couldn't come any closer. They couldn't come into the outer courtyard. They certainly couldn't come into the temple. So they were still considered afar off. When Jesus died on the cross, he would cry out, it is finished. And as he cried out, it is finished, Matthew chapter 27 Verse 51 tells us that the veil that was in the temple, that is the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, it rent in two, it ripped in two. And for the very first time, the priests that were in the holy place could see into the holy of holies. But in that, you know, telling us that the veil was rent in two. Jesus crying out, it is finished. The author of the book of Hebrews that was writing to those first century you know, Jewish believers was saying that something very wonderful has happened. Something very glorious. Jesus is superior. He's building a, a structure uh, that is a living temple that's greater than the temple that you miss so much in Jerusalem. And also understand this in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come into the presence of the Lord um, into the Holy of Holies is what he writes. And any of the Old Testament priests that would read that would be absolutely amazed. You mean this new covenant because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross that we can come, any of us, through faith, not in our own confidence, but in the confidence of the blood of Jesus Christ, can come into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, not just one day a year, but any time we want, as many times as we want, and we can stay as long as we want. It's a glorious truth that I pray would impact you and me. The marvelous and incredible opportunity and privilege that you and I have to come into the presence of the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Before we were afar off, as the apostle writes, there was a separation between us and God because of sin. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can 
can bring us to God. We were once afar off in verse 14 as we continue to read, but also he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So Jesus himself is our peace. He didn't simply make peace between God and man and Jew and Gentiles, but rather he is our peace. His work on the cross is the common ground of salvation for both Jew and Gentile. Jesus has broken the wall down between Jew and Gentile, as Paul would write earlier before this time in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Jew and Gentile are brought together now in the church. Jesus makes us one, who were at one time two diverse and, and different groups and systems, the Jews who were trying to, under the law, be righteous before God, and the Gentiles who were alienated because they didn't have the law, the promises, the covenants. But now, both coming to God through the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus breaking down the barrier and making us one in Christ. So Jesus is the common denominator, and he is the way by which man can come to God. Now, this, you know, great difference you know, that existed between Jew and Gentile. In Christ, the apostle writes that the wall of separation has been broken down. Jesus is our peace. He has provided peace with God because of Calvary. You see, what happened is man comes along and brings religion. And it is religion that can bring separation. Paul was writing about to the church at Corinth that the carnality that was there because there were those who were saying, well, I'm a Paul, I'm a Cephas, I'm of Apollos, you know, I'm of this group. And th- there was division and carnality that was going on. Jesus brings us together as one as we have relationship with him. Jesus brings unity t- for us through, you know, his shed work on the cross, brings unity in God. And Paul really needed to press this point in the early church because it was those believing Jews who still many of them were tied to the law, And it was a source of contention with those new Gentile believers who didn't know the law and and kept the law, you know. So here is Paul. He he discusses much of that in his epistles, in Galatians he does, as there are those who are coming along and saying, hey, you Gentile believers, it's more than just faith in Jesus Christ, but you got to be a part of us. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. And, of course, it was Paul that made the strong case as he gave truth in the book of Galatians that it's not by the deeds of the law that you're justified. The law has a purpose, and that is to point out that we fail that we are sinners in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law. So Paul here in verses 15 and 16 describes how and why this spiritual separation or enmity between Jews and Gentiles has come to an end. By Christ's death, the the separation and animosity between believing Jews and Gentiles has come to an end. There should be no more animosity between the two groups in in what Jesus did for us. What took place, verse 15, take note of, to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. In other words, as believers, 
Gentiles don't have to become Jews in that we have to keep the law. And Jews don't become Gentiles. What happens is, is we, be, we become Christians, a whole new single entity. And then also in him and through him, that is through Christ, he reconciles both Jewish and Gentile believers to himself in one body called the church. And that's what he has continued to do for 2,000 years. I mean, look at us. Look at Calvary Chapel. This is just a small sample of the body of Christ here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. And we all come with different backgrounds, different experiences, you know, um, different personalities. We come together and we're one in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are in this thing called the church. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing when you think about it. Because if it wasn't for Christ, probably none of us would really know each other. We wouldn't hang out with each other. We wouldn't care for each other. But it's only through Christ as he has brought us together as one in him, in this thing called the church. And it's a glorious thing. Only Jesus can do that and does that. We continue reading in verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So peace is announced to all who believe on Christ, who has made peace with God possible to you, who were afar off, that is, you Gentiles, and to you who were near, that is, you Jews, we all have access to the Father, all enjoying the same access to God. One group does not have a greater access to God or a, a different access to God. There is, listen, not a gospel for the Jews, and then there's a gospel for the Gentiles. Always remember this, there is only one gospel, one mediator, that mediator or access is Jesus. And it would be Jesus that would say in that upper room in John chapter 14, verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. The Holy Spirit working in our hearts concerning Christ, the provision of peace with God and the unity that we now have as believers all because of Christ. And it comes through him. In verse 19, now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So you Ephesian believers, as we follow what Paul has been saying in chapter 2 here, he writes that at one time before we came to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were very much alive physically, but spiritually we were dead. But he has made us alive as we come in faith to Jesus Christ, being born again by the Spirit of God. And we sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. We are trophies of His grace. We are saved by grace. And we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And you Gentiles have been brought together with those believing Jews, together having uh, one access to God, and that is through Christ. So understand this. Therefore, verse 19 because of these things that, that we have seen, the glorious truths of chapter 2 here, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. And it's true with you. Because I talk to Christians all the time that think that they're afar off. They've come to Christ. And in their struggles or in their difficulties and in their weaknesses and in their failures, they think that I'm so far off from the Lord. I'm some kind of stranger, foreigner. The Lord must hold me out at arm's length. And the thing is, the Lord loves you. And you have relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And the Lord desires to draw you to himself. 
You see, as Paul is writing this in Paul's day, if you were a foreigner in a certain area, remember that the Roman Empire encompassed almost all of the known world. And if you came to a certain town or into you know, a, a different certain province that you were from, you were considered a stranger. We, we hear that today, you know, hey, there's a stranger coming into town. Maybe a drifter, perhaps. And what they would do is they would live kind of on the fringe of town, and sometimes there would be a certain tax that would be imposed to them that they would have to pay if they set up a tent or if they set up camp. And that's, you know, they were on somebody else's land. They're on the fringe of town. But those of that, that city, of that, that town, would look at those strangers in suspicion, you know, uh, kind of in fear, would be prejudiced against them, hold them out at arm's length. We need to keep an eye on them, you know, that kind of attitude. And so what we're seeing here, Paul says in believers in Christ, that's not the case any longer. Because of Jesus, we are one in God, citizens of heaven. In Jesus, there is a place for everyone. You're no longer a stranger, a foreigner. And I like that phrase that is in verse 19. We're all members of the household of God. That is, we as believers are part of God's extended family. Now, going to church does not make you a part of that family. You're a part of that family by coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being born spiritually into the family by faith in Jesus. And Paul goes on to talk about this household of God that is very important for us as we finish the chapter here in verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So a new man has been created, verse 15. No more Jew, no more Gentile. You're brought together a new man. We were once afar off, you Gentiles, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You guys, you Jews, who are of the covenants and the promises, you too were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you get the big picture, the full story, that salvation is for all, not just for you. And now there is a bringing together, Jew and Gentiles, the new man, this thing called the church. You are of the household of God. You're no longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but you belong to him. Having now been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, we read, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of our salvation. There is none other. And I think that Paul here, as he's saying that the apostles... In their apostolic authority, the prophets of the New Testament, prophets and, and apostles, they are the foundation, the teachings, the apostles and prophets would lay that foundation which the church would be built on, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Now, I'm not a building expert, but what I've read about, a little bit about ancient building practices, the chief cornerstone was carefully placed it had to be placed properly and very precisely because the rest of the building would be lined up with that chief cornerstone. The church's foundation, that is the apostolic ministry, Paul, Peter, the others, and the, the message and ministry 
of the prophets, laying the foundation of the church, the chief cornerstone being Christ, God building a habitation for himself. We together as believers make up the household of God or the temple of God. The temple continues to grow as more come to Christ. Do you remember that up at Caesarea Philippi, the confession of Peter, when Jesus said, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter, upon the, the rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church. And that church has been built for the last 2,000 years and continues to even today. The church, this holy habitation for the Lord, continues to grow. More confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, coming in faith. In Acts chapter 4, after healing was brought to a man in chapter 3 there at the temple, Peter and John were brought in to address the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, of the Jewish Supreme Court. And in Acts chapter 4, we read that Peter is he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he would uh, say in verse 10, beginning there, that let it be known to you as he addressed the council and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you holds. Talking about the man that was healed there at the beautiful gate. And then Peter goes on and he says, this, this one that Jesus is the stone which the re was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, and nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the Apostle Peter, quoting from Psalm 118, you guys have rejected the chief cornerstone. He came into his own, but his own did not receive him. He's the chief cornerstone. He holds the whole structure together, which is a holy habitation unto God. It's not a physical building. We know that the church here, that this, you know, I use that term. I say to Sue, hey, I'm going to church today. We say, let's go to church. We know that this is just a building, right? Made of stone and, and, and block and, and uh, sheetrock and, and all of that. It's just a, a physical building. But the church really is you and I as we come into this place. It, it is living. It is alive. It is uh, us coming together as one, lined up with the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who brings the strength and stability to the structure. Now, a couple things I'd like to bring out. You and I being fitted together... Paul writes, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. How glorious it is for us to come together with the family of God and to experience the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of God's Spirit as he's working to build this habitation. Now, we have talked about how the temple was built in the Old Testament. When they built Solomon's temple, the, the, all the stones, the magnificent stones, were chiseled and cut and hammered and smoothed out in a quarry and then brought to the site where the temple was and they all fit together real snug. It was, it was incredible. Matter of fact, the second temple, same thing. The second temple, you can see the Herodian stones. And these are large stones and they're perfectly smooth and you can't even, between the stones, put a piece of paper between you know, the cracks because it fit perfectly. No mortar was used. Hairline fracture all smoothed out, chiseled out, fit perfectly together. It's absolutely amazing when you look at it. Peter, as you might recall, if you were with us in a recent study of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's writing about this very thing because it was important 
for the Christians to understand this. And many of those early Christians were Jewish. And the book of Hebrews being written to them to encourage them about this time. The book of Hebrews saying that you Hebrew believers that are looking at the temple, the magnificent temple in Jerusalem, overlaid with gold, huge stones, fitted together perfectly. Remember this, that God is building something even greater. And that is a living temple. And Peter, when he was writing to the Christians, he was writing to them as they were being persecuted. They needed to understand the privileged status that they had as the church, that Jesus being a chief cornerstone, and he would go on to say, as believers, we're living stones. We're being built up a spiritual house, the apostle writes, and we're being put together as living stones, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, wouldn't it be nice on this side of eternity as living stones were being fitted together, if we all fitted together perfectly. That is, you know, we're all real snug and, and, you know, just perfectly fit with one another. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? Because the Lord is still working in us. I'll speak for myself, but I know that the Lord's still chiseling on me. And he's knocking off the rough edges and he's smoothing me out and, and, and still doing that work in me and in you as well. And so we come together. And this holy habitation is still growing, building. The, the Lord is working in us, molding us, and we need to understand that. And know this, that the Lord will put you and I with people, friends. He's ordained it, that you're not always going to be snug with them all the time. People may rub you the wrong way. It happens. This isn't heaven. When we get to heaven, we'll all fit perfectly together, but it's not a perfect building. Uh, I was saying the first uh, service that this week I was reading once again about Peter. We know the story how he's in the boat with those disciples, and they're very much afraid, and a storm had come up, and they thought they were going to sink, and Jesus comes walking on the water, right? And Peter yells out, he says, if it's you, Lord, command me to walk out on the water. And Jesus said, come. And I just wonder, was that really great faith of Peter as he did that? Yeah, it was. But I also wonder if he was just kind of to the point of, I want to get out of the boat from these guys. They're driving me crazy, you know. I've had it with these guys. I think maybe that was a part of it. And what can happen oftentimes is we don't have that snug, all warm feeling with everyone. So my reaction is that I'm going to take my block and move. And if God wants you to move over here, he can do that. But what can happen if we're not careful is I'm going to move this living stone when God wants you to stay and continue to do work in you. Say, what work do you think that God has to do in me? Well, he has to do this work in all of us. And continuing to teach us to be patient with one another and to care for one another and long-suffering and gentle with one another. In other words, to love one another so that we can love those that perhaps that are difficult for us to love. You know, it's easy to love the one who has a similar background and personality and is nice to you and helps you out. But he desires for us to love all the body of Christ. And the Lord wants to do that work, and he'll bring people to help us to grow in that love and be patient and to really learn to care for one another. 
And there are those that have the tendency that when they feel a bit uncomfortable and, and perhaps that uh, things didn't always work out the way that they thought, I'll move. And usually what you will find is when you move to another church or another group of believers, you're going to place yourself with someone else who's going to rub you the wrong way. And then you'll move again and the same thing will happen. And you see, Christians, I've known them, that can go from place to place to place to place and never really firmly be established in this holy temple that God is building, Jesus being our chief cornerstone. What I'm saying is this, that you be prayerful and you be sensitive to where God wants to place you because he has a place for every single one of us. And don't think that I'm going to take my block and I'm going to move here in the open by myself so I don't have to rub against anybody. And I don't have to deal with any people. Don't do that. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, after he says, we have the privilege of coming into the Holy of Holies, confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ, that don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Some of you are isolating yourselves, especially when you see the day, what day? The day of the Lord that is approaching. We're seeing the day of the Lord approaching, I believe. And how important it is for us to be in fellowship in a church. And I know that I'm speaking to the choir, if you would. But it's very important, especially in the day in which we're living in, to belong to a body of believers, to belong to a church, and really be edified and encouraged and uplifted, and to be blessed. And if you're isolated, it's a lot easier for the enemy to come along and begin to beat you up. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to say, you don't need the church. You don't need a body of believers. You don't need to, to be with anybody. You know, church doesn't save you, and it doesn't. But the church is very important. It's important to Jesus because he's the chief cornerstone. He is the one that loves the church. He's the one that's building the church. He stands in the midst of the church, Revelation chapter 1. And the church is very important to him, and he has established the church so we can come together Edify one another, encourage one another. And he doesn't want us to isolate ourselves. And I know that it can be, feel like, you know, the quarry at times. Because the church isn't perfect, and this church isn't perfect. And people can rub you the wrong way, and we make mistakes. And it doesn't mean that we don't correct each other. It doesn't mean that we, we ask for forgiveness when we need to, or or to rebuke and correct and all these things. That's all part of it according to God's word and according to the instructions he gives to us. But remember that this isn't heaven. And it's love that covers a multitude of sins. Remember Peter wrote that? That means even if you make a mistake, even if you rub me the wrong way, even if there is sin where I need to come and rebuke you and you ask for forgiveness, love covers that. That we're not going to quit on each other. And we also need to understand, even though we're not perfect, to know this. That we are a holy habitation. We're not just a haphazard pile of stones. Just ram randomly dumped in a place where we're a body. And we as a body are to do things in a way to please the Lord. We're placed together as Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We're the temple of God growing in a beautiful way. It is a temple where God dwells. God is working in marvelous ways. Of course, we're not a showroom. I, I don't want to ever try to be a showroom where everything's in its perfect place. 
you know, those of us in our homes, if, if you're like us, you've got summer projects, you know, and you've got things and, you know, redoing rooms and, you know, and all this other stuff. Somebody comes in my house, they don't say, oh, you know, what, what's that stuff doing over there in the corner? You know, we don't go to somebody's home and say, hey, you know, you got dirty socks or a coat over there in the corner. We don't do that, do we? <laughs> As we come here, what my prayer is this, that people would perceive the love of Jesus Christ, that we do care for each other, that we want to do things in a biblical manner. We want to honor the Lord. We want to care for each other and love one another, but we're not going to be perfect. And Calvary Chapel Greeley is not a showroom or to be a false light. There's nothing worse than a false light. And this church is not perfect, and you don't have a perfect pastor. That's not an excuse for sloppy agape, all right? But it is a reason for us to continue to grow and look to him because the work that he's doing is so incredible. That people are getting saved and coming to know Jesus and they're being freed from addictions and they're growing in the word of God and our children. They're so precious to us. They're growing in the Lord. They're going in the mission field. I think about the Leachmans in the Philippines and Jamie there is going to stay at the orphanage. I think about Jake in Europe. How the group just came back from Costa Rica, Isaiah and Rachel and Harley. I mean, God is working, especially in these days, and he wants to work in this church as we honor the word of God, as we desire to reach out. And I believe most certainly that God's going to be adding living stones. People that truly have been out in the pit and the quarry of the world, being chiseled on and cut on and are hurting and are wondering. And we have opportunity to love on them and care for them and give them truth in the gospel. And for us, as we're here, we come from the world and all the junk and the stuff and the pressures of the world to be able to come here and to be prayed for and to pray for one another and to care for one another and be patient with one another. And to grow in the love of Jesus Christ. That's his desire. And that's what Paul is writing. You're not strangers, foreigners. You've come together in one church, one body. The church is important. And know this, that he's the chief cornerstone. And you have a place. You have a place in the body of Christ. And he loves you and he desires to do marvelous work in you, in your family, and in this place corporately. The great things that he wants to do. I love to read what the word of God has to say about the church. Because it is important. I get all kinds of stuff about church growth and, you know, church this and how to make your church dynamic and all of this. Listen, the greatest thing that we can do is love. Let's just keep it at that, okay? Loving God and loving others. And he'll take care of the rest of it. But let's love God and love others. And let's care for each other. And let's grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And as we do, we're going to be a light. God's going to work in your family. And you're going to be a part of something that's so incredible, so glorious. Because we're living stones, a living habitation being brought together for his glory and purposes. So, Father, we thank you. I just pray that as we consider these things, Lord, that, um, that it's glorious to know that we're not far off anymore because of the blood of Jesus. That we have been brought into the presence of you because of what Jesus Christ has done in going to the cross and rising from the grave. He is our hope.
He is not a hope. He is our only hope. He is the only salvation. And we know that he proved it by rising from the grave. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone listening on live stream or in the coffee shop or in the sanctuary that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, the church can't save you. The church is an important part of God's program, but the church cannot save you. No man can save you. You cannot save yourself. Jesus came to save you. He is the Son of God who came and died on the cross for your sins because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. As Paul wrote in this chapter, that we're dead in trespasses and sins. But God has made us alive through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you come in faith now. You're saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Coming in faith in the Son of God who died for you. Recognizing your need for the Savior of the world because you have sinned. And then surrendering your life to him. And as you do, today is the day of salvation for you. There's no other. No other name under heaven in which a man or a woman must be saved. If that means anything to anyone here this morning, will you pray sincerely in your heart that Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner, but I ask that you would forgive me. I know that you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. You're alive. You rose from the grave because you're knocking on the door of my heart. You're speaking to my heart. And I ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe in you. Save me. Forgive me. Thank you for your love for me. And help me to live for you all the days of my life as I allow you to sit upon the throne of my life. I'm not my own anymore. And thank you for hearing my prayer. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, after the service, will you come up and pray with Pastor John? Let him know the decision that you made. If you're listening on live stream, I want you to call in and tell us the decision you made this week. But, but Lord, I pray for all of us that we would remember we're not afar off. We're not strangers, foreigners anymore. We've been brought together in Christ, brought near by the blood of Christ. And we're all part of this wonderful church here. And Lord, we don't want to elevate a name. We don't want to elevate a person. We want to elevate Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in a wonderful way in growing us, maturing us, that there's true love, God's love in this church, and patience and long-suffering and caring for one another. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to bless and help us keep our eyes on you to honor your word and Lord to reach out to a lost and dying world so bless everyone here as we go our way Lord and it's in Jesus name that we pray and all of God's people said amen amen would you please stand if you need any prayer at all John's here to pray with you we want to minister to you in that way Lord willing we'll see you on Wednesday night if you come join us we'd love to see you Travis is going to close this in song we'll be dismissed Bring your shame, bring your guilt, and bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more to me. 
And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right Well that's alright Cause I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed When others say I'll never be enough and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world, in the world, in the world. And greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. Hope to see you real soon.